welcome to the Racing Ear Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Barr, and on the phone with me is, from Visalia, California, is Rick Noop. Rick Noop, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Trent. Nice to be on board with you. Well, hey, it's great to talk to you again. Um, I've really enjoyed the last few episodes that we've had together talking about your your illustrative and amazing uh, racing career. I wanted to sort of switch gears right now and, and sort of talk a little NASCAR. Um, I was just wondering, uh, you went from road racing to sports car racing, uh, and then you sort of found yourself in NASCAR. I mean, I remember you, you in our last episode, we talked about 1985 with Jim Busby Racing. And then I found out later on that, my gosh, you were in NASCAR all of a sudden. So how'd that come about? Well, it was really sort of an interesting um, transition, if you will. Um, I was uh, brought up on a ranch, so I've, I've been pretty versatile in driving different kinds of equipment. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I, uh, I love going to Riverside and watching the, the 500s there. Oh, my gosh. Going to school at USC, and we'd all get in the grandstands of uh, turn six. And I thought, those guys are really getting with it in a stock car. Yeah. So um, the the fascination was there. And, yeah, you're right. About 1981, I had one of those years, Trent, that race drivers get. Mm. Sometimes it's not a full year with a team specific. Right. So like hitchhiking on 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 a highway, you hope someone picks you up. Right. And um, you've got to be a little careful. By then in 81 in my career, I'd gone pro in 78. For a variety of reasons, I, I would come in in longer races. But I had some months there that I thought, oh, my gosh, I hope somebody calls. Hmm. So I thought, what about Winston Cup? Hmm. Now called, it's now called Nextel. But right. I was working with a gentleman by the name of Terry Cargus, um, who who works now at the Peterson Museum. He was involved with Anheuser Busch. Yeah, he was he was representing my racing efforts. Wow! Along with the Mark McCormick Agency and trying to get some interest. Wait, so wait, wait! Of- you just said Mark McCormick, right? And that's the Arnold Palmer agent, right? Right, and uh, IMG, the International management group so oh my gosh wow well i tell you winning at le mans is not a race it's the race right it opened up a lot of doors and all of a sudden international management group mark mccormick new york city done anyway wow so they were they were baiting the hook for me so to speak right and terry cargus um knew of this gentleman named Guy like David and K um, like Ken, D.K. Ulrich. Okay, yeah. Now, D.K. Ulrich was a privately uh, smaller NASCAR team, and he had taken on some road racers. One guy's name was David Hobbs. Oh, yeah. Okay, because road racing was starting to become part of the NASCAR calendar yes so um yelling forge robinson did a few races with him yeah and so did peter Gregg. oh my so gosh my name wow. got thrown into the 
into the half. And like I said, I didn't have a full year team specific. So I thought, hell, this can't be. I I think I might be able to do this. Wow. So I kept my mouth shut and uh, I listened. And all of a sudden the phone rang and Noop, how would you like to go to the Michigan Speedway in Brooklyn, in Brooklyn, Michigan? Wow. Well, I said, I'm a road racer and that's an oval. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fast oval, too. Oh, geez. So uh, anyway, packed my bags, Trent, and off I went. Wow. I had never, never been in a car. They put a big yellow stripe in the back. That's to indicate when yeah. the veterans would go by that there was a rookie behind the wheel. Oh, goodness gracious. Oh, man. So, so it was sort of fun because, yeah, I'm a confident guy behind the wheel. You know, I'm driving water trucks at the ranch and hay trucks when I was about 13. I thought, well, might be able to figure this out. But, my gosh, here's a guy named Petty and Benny Parsons and uh, just a whole Buddy Baker Oh, yeah. Wow. So, man, I'm at the driver's meeting go, I wonder if we just got in a little bit deeper than we thought we should. <laughs> and, oh, uh, you know, four speed, 3,800 pounds of love and affection. Oh, man. So I, I listened to the, uh, the driver's meeting like we all do. And I was kind of looking around and, I just thought, oh boy. Now, growing up on the ranch in the summers, I, you know, I didn't need a whole lot of Hollywood Boulevard or anything. I can talk to almost anybody. I, you know, maybe sometimes too much, but I just was kept my mouth shut. I ended up uh, qualifying thirtieth out of thirty-six cars. So, Trent, I wasn't dead last. Wow! Wow! Now I'm I, on I, this. Sorry. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm in this. Great big visual racetrack. I mean, I've been to Daytona yeah. a couple of times by then, but I'd always gone into the infield because I'm a road racer. Yeah, yeah. So, man, I'm coming out of the pit area, the hot pits, and transitioning onto that big track named Michigan, and it's a fast one. Oh, man. And uh, not a whole lot of practice, and then I got this thing called qualifying. I went, holy smokes, here's a Hail Mary pass for me. Because oh, I don't I don't want to put it into the fence, but there's 36 cars, and there's a, uh, and that's how many they start. And there was, some guys were on the trailer going home before I even qualified. You know, oh, my gosh. Well, you know, so, I'm, I'm thinking about your story right here, and I'm wondering if back then, if there, if you, you might be the very first Californian to do NASCAR. Do you think, do you think that might be? Uh, I don't know about that. I don't think I am, but, um, but I mean, I, I thought there was a guy who drove a, a NASCAR car. It was a yellow number four. It had Kodak sponsorship. It, is it Ernie Irvin? Was that his name? Yeah, Irvin. I don't know if he was from California. I, I, I'm, I think Jeff Bodine was from New York. But then there's, you go years yeah. later, and, and you got the uh, the Jimmy Johnson and the and the Kyle Larsons of the world. But I mean, well, maybe at that time I may have been. But put it this way, yeah, I was clearly a minority from being from the West Coast, living right. in pretty much the hub, as you know, and the audience knows is. 
Charlotte. Yes, Charlotte, North Carolina. Wow. So, wow. I didn't there was no testing at uh Humpy Wheeler's track called Charlotte or 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 any of the tracks. I just went over there and I I took that as a compliment because this is one of the fastest tracks on the NASCAR circuit then mm. and I'd never even been in a NASCAR before. Oh so anyway, to shorten, I mean, there's no drama in this, but I was kind of going, holy cow. So I qualified, I believe I earlier, I, I qualified 30th out of 36, so I wasn't dead last. Right. And my ego's okay with it. I mean, I would have been okay. I just wanted to get into the field because the plane tickets are paid for, yeah. hotel and all that stuff. And, um, it, you know, you just try to finish something, you start, darn it. Exactly. Yeah. And so, it, this storyline kind of starts and it's it kind of starts like that movie days of thunder with Tom Cruise. And it's like, you know, <laughs> this guy's from California. He's coming on out. He's coming on out to the NASCAR scene. And, uh, <laughs> What's yeah. uh? What, what does this Californian think he's gonna do out here? Yeah. Oh, well, man. I was lucky enough to really have some pretty good chemistry with those guys. I don't know what it was. Maybe because the people that Dale Hay and Fallon, Nevada, and Elko and all that aren't much different than than Charlotte. Right. And my dad was a humble guy, but a true gentleman. And being on the ranch as many years as I did, we'd go from from uh, all, all different walks of life. Yeah. From, yeah. From the person that would walk into the front gate with everything he owns on his back to the people that, that had the wherewithal. Oh, so wow. I, wow. I blended into the freeway of my first race at Brooklyn. Okay. Mm -hmm. I did a respectable job. Uh, traffic management is something that I've always uh, prided myself my father always told me when i was a little kid before i had my license i'd be taking farm equipment from you know long ways from the san francisco peninsula all the way up to grass valley without a license and oh just my said, gosh wow. he, he said he just said don't you know if you come up with a bunch of um, cars go around them don't mm. stay in the pack oh, so wow. Wow. I always wanted to have my father's respect and I earned it and we had a lovely. So anyway, that was sort of my idea of this race was now I'm, I, I, uh, I started, uh, um, 30th, 30th out of 36 and I ended up 20th. Wow. Wow. And that was your very first race. Good Lord. First race. That was my debut into nascar and, that and was i 1981 did, right 1981 then wow. my next race my next race in nascar trent same team really dk allrich wow and um that was in 1986 because i was i finally was getting a drive specific for the full seasons. 81, I was bouncing around. Uh, I was doing endurance races for Mazda. And I did a race with Tony Adamowitz and a Ferrari 512. Yeah. And I thought, I'm going to try to get into something else. And so that was that race. So five years later, my next race in NASCAR was 1986. Wow. And I started 29th out of a field of 36. Now, this one is interesting because it was kind of more up my alley, but I did okay at uh, at uh, Michigan. But okay. this race, 
They called it the Budweiser at Watkins Glen. Right. So I start 29th there out of 36. Again, I kept myself out of trouble and I finished 20th. Right. Right. Funny sideline on this. I was pitted next to Junior Johnson. His mm. drivers then were uh, Neil Bonnet and uh, Daryl Walthrop. Right. The primary sponsor was Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oh, right. So I am just, you know, when you're with a bunch of teams and your neighbor is Junior Johnson, you're trying to put your best foot forward. You know, if the right. magic wand came down and you're doing more of this, who do you want to drive for? Right. Junior Johnson. Wow. So I'm listening. I learned to listen and listen to learn. Walter came up to DK Ulrich. And, and Daryl's got kind of a robust voice. And he says, DK, you ought to give that guy a motor. Because on that straightaway, and this is before the chicane there, we drive a modified version of Watkins Glen. But it's a you, the climbing S's is flat on top of the, the entrance to the straightaway, flat. Fourth right. gear boogie woogie. All right? Right. right. And I, Walter Ip and Bonnet would come by me. I mean, 20 mile an hour difference. Wow. So I just kept my mouth shut. Damn, I wish I had a stronger engine. So here comes this comment from Walter to my car owner. You give that boy an engine because we go by him like he's standing still and son of a bitch. He goes by us in the turns at the end of the straightaway. Oh. <laughs> So inside, Trent, I'm doing what you just did. I'm laughing, going, thank you, God. <laughs> so um, and that was coming from Daryl Walthrop. Boogity, um, boogity, so, boogity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He oh. said, get that boy an engine. And he, <laughs> says, he said, we go by him like he's standing still, and I think he is. And then he goes by us in the turns. Oh, wow. So I was driving with my laundry out because I'd driven just about everything you can imagine at the ranch. And I put a little bit of that traffic management. And I always tried to have a little bit of something that I was proud of, proud of at the end of every event I did. From the go-kart days to my mini bike at the ranch to Hall and Hay. I just wanted to get it done and not make a lot of noise about it. Right, right. Then you earn with finishes or the completion of jobs, You there's a pattern. Yeah. Have Rick drive it. And I was very honored, and I had the right people representing me, but I didn't have personal funding like Dad's got an oil business. I'm the oldest of four kids. Right. And I, I'm awfully hard on myself, mm. and I think most people are that are success. Um, and I... I really demand an awful lot and more times than not, I prepare and, and the results are there. Yes, okay. So yes. there, so there's Watkins Glen. All right. Yeah. Now 87. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. But as, as you know, you know, I'm driving prototypes in 86 and 84, 83 going back. Yeah. So, so I, in, in 86, that's the race, um, at Watkins Glen. And then my final three races in NASCAR, which I only did a little less than two, or maybe eight races. My final three races came in 1987. Uh -huh. And, um, I went to a place 
And this is sort of an, uh, a, a story that I'll never forget. Mm. Uh, I went to the world's fastest speedway, Talladega. Mm. Um, that was the year that Bill Elliott was on the pole in the Coors Brewing. And, um, yes. Um, uh, it's, the, 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 the Mel, it was the Melling uh, Awesome Bill from Dawsonville. Uh, yes, Ford it was Thunderbird. It was the Ford Melling Oil Pump Special. Yeah, the the Ford Thunderbird. The, the Ford Thunderbird. Was, yeah, it was on the pole at two hundred nine miles an hour Good or Lord. something. And um, it was uh, and the last car to get in, which is called the Provisional out right. of thirty six cars, that average speed if you divide up the speed by the number of cars was faster than the pole. Oh, wow. At Indianapolis. Oh my gosh. Wow. Now you say, how can that happen? Rick? And here's the deal on that. NASCAR has always had a pretty good handle on air management Mm. and it's called body work, rake in the windshield, Mm. uh, all sorts of things. And IndyCar at that particular time, and the year was 87, has four wheels that are open. They're open wheel cars, aren't they? So the way these these Chevy Monte Carlos that I was racing then and the one on the street, there was a lot going on in terms of how it cut through the air. Right. And uh, anyway, I, I qualified over 200 there. And uh, I was pretty pleased with that. Um, but uh, I was the last guy to qualify over 200. And um, then the rest were 199.99999 and all that. Wow. And um, it was an interesting race. Uh, it really was a heartbreaker for me because I lost a wheel bearing oh. late in the race wow. to finish a disappointing 24th. But I was running, I think, 11th overall. And in NASCAR, if you run in the top 15, you're considered a, a win. Oh, wow. But during that race, and history will tell you, we had a, well, we, NASCAR had a game changer Yes. for their history. Right. Okay, uh, I'm coming out of turn four, a friend and a and a hero for NASCAR and most racers when you meet him, Bobby Allison. Right. And uh, the Miller High Life car. Yes. So I'm coming out of turn four, and I'm looking at the tri-oval, yes. and there's another banking at the start-finish line, and lo and behold, the car takes off Mm. and i mean really takes off yeah most of it stayed the core of the car stayed on the racetrack specific right but parts of it uh, went into the grandstands and there were some people that got pretty hurt oh my gosh oh man and so what happened was they delayed the race trend and not for 40 minutes and and uh but for four hours oh uh people were taken and and cared for and uh my father and i were there that year and i'm out of the car and you know when you when you wait an hour it's pretty long yeah uh, but 
There's yeah. people, you know, I would have waited a week man, when anyone's hurt. I don't go there for the crashes. I go there to express what my my talent is. Right. But it was a pretty emotional deal to get out of running at 8,200 RPMs and watching your buddy go through, Bobby Allison. Oh. And uh, then all of a sudden, sitting that long, I looked at my father, one of those father-son moments, and I said, you know, I... I uh, I don't know whether I can really get back into this thing. I'm getting kind of you know because then we didn't have, we didn't have the motor coaches and all that stuff. I was sitting on a 50 gallon drum and I was. You like to keep the momentum going when you're a racer or when you're doing anything. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And uh, I'm so grateful that I was selected to do all this, but I really want wanted to do a nice job so yeah anyway they got the race going but it was four hours later or or close to four hours yeah got at it again and uh i was running very respectful and was it an oversight i don't know was it a heartbreak oh my gosh oh wow many people are measured on how they do at talladega the fear factor is something yeah um or, or Pardon me. The sheer speed is something. The fear factor, if you see a car go by like a California Speedway at 200, it, it doesn't really look like much. Oh, you, wow. you see a car going by at 170 at Laguna or Sears Point, holy cow. Mm. It's so massive. Wow. Uh, like the Oval of Daytona, like the, uh, you know, it's just, but anyway, um, it was a, it was an experience. It was the last uh, non-restrictor play race right and so i kind of hold that people that are interested and know any of that they know i've raced i that's one of those feathers in my hat because we were we were really rolling there yeah that that's a fascinating that's a fascinating historical uh historical um point in history that nascar that NASCAR went through. That was uh, the day or the race that changed NASCAR. I mean, that's how the videos are labeled on YouTube with that Bobby Allison crash. But you're yeah. so, so I, just so I understand that the, the, the restrictor plate or actually no, the, the, the engines had, they, they have a, um, it's called a restrictor plate that limits the amount of air that goes into the, into the engine. Is that how that goes? That's right. And, and what they were trying to do is it limits the air and the fuel. So, oh. so the, so the volume is, is restricted. So they were trying not to ever have, and rightly so, a Bobby Allison wreck like that again. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and it was, um, it, it was really interesting because there are films in that. It was a pivotal point. Bill France Sr. was still alive. Right. They immediately, as NASCAR does, they got down to business, had a meeting, I, I think, that night mm. and said, look, at that's it. So I sort of sometimes drive me down the highway or once a year think, man, I, I didn't realize there was a lot of these tribute films when NASCAR did not have restrictor place. But, boy, I got to tell you what, it it was it, it was something else. If you had lost control of a car, the car owner told me, DK Allridge, if you get this son of a bitch sideways, Rick, 
just take your foot off the brake because it will rub the tires like an eraser on a pencil. Mm. The tires will explode. Just keep the tires turning. When they explode, then sparks from machining all four wheels will start going. And you've got a hell of a mess because oh, not boy. only have you lost grip, now you're metal on asphalt. Oh, yeah. And it was before, Trent, they had those roof kind of um, releases to get the air out of the cockpit. What oh, was the fins, for? right? The fins, the reverse fins? The reverse fins, because wow. what, what was happening was you run without uh, windows on the side back yeah. then. Yeah. If you got yeah. the thing uh, spun around backwards, all that air that was going over your car is now going into your car. Mm. And the first thing that leaves you is the windshield. Oh, it wow. says, hey, I can't hang on anymore. So um, it was a little bit of some pioneering, I guess, because the motors were getting faster and faster from American ingenuity, you know, yes. and they were lasting longer. Yes. It was pretty neat. And uh, I went back to Watkins Glen. Yeah. Um, uh, for my final two races, I went back to the Glen and then um, – uh, ran well again there. I finished 23rd, but same sort of story. Like, you know, that, that, uh, Daryl Walthrop said, God, give that gentleman a motor. And I, <laughs> I wasn't being, a, I wasn't being a complainer, but the writing was on the wall. Right. That I, if I had some more ponies, it would have been better. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a needy racer going, ah, oh, damn it. I didn't have an engine, but the, the films of those things will prove it. I, I had a tendency to, to, to put some wheels under without getting anybody mad, but I had to, I had to throw my best suit out there because I it clearly wasn't on the straightaways. Wow. Wow. Well, that's fascinating stuff. You know, I, I only have, I mean, I have a limited sort of understanding of what Watkins Glen is. And the first, the first, the, the first, you know, for me growing up in the 80s, um, there was a lot of NASCAR on TV and there was a lot of IndyCar on TV, but they only went to the oval racetracks. They didn't really, they didn't really, uh, broadcast any sort of races that were on, uh, road courses. And so, and that was for me, I didn't have cable. I didn't have ESPN. But the one time that they did, uh, broadcast a road race was the the iRock series they had an iRock race at Watkins Glen in 87 and i remember the the very first time i mean i love sam posey what he what he used to do with his color commentating he they actually gave him a car and they actually you know put a camera in the car and he was doing commentating of what Watkins Glen was you know corner for corner straight for straight all that stuff and just i i um it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube somewhere, but just his description of Watkins Glen, it's a, it's a, it's a very historical, uh, uh, racetrack. And when NASCAR went there, they didn't do the, I guess it's called the bottom horseshoe. Is that, is that correct? That's correct. They couldn't really because right. the brakes would never cool off. Uh, oh. I think I mentioned earlier, they had a sizable straightaway there. And before they put the chicane in see. I think we were talking at one of our other podcasts about how many of the tracks actually have the same layout. Oh, wow. Many. Yeah. But you really hauled ass at that place. Wow. And the horseshoe is braking intensive. 
Mm. And breaking is heat. So they thought, well, that's why uh, Riverside was interesting. You could do about any format. They modified Riverside for NASCAR. Yeah, yeah. And you know this, being close to Sears Point, they modify Sears Point. So after they go through 3 and 3A, Mm -hmm. they forget the carousel. because So they cater because there is such a... Uh, a fan base and if they can get to them they're going to get people at the events and then um my last race that year which i'm probably about as proud of as i've been in in my racing career which was just a son of a gun physically on me i mean all these races these cars are hot and floors are hot and all that and um it's just you know uh, but i i did the uh the 500 at Dover, Delaware. They oh, call it yes. the they call it the Monster Mile, man. Oh, and yeah. I got to tell you this: mm. open face helmet in those days, and uh, some bucko type plexiglass bumblebee thing. I mean, mm. but um, thank God because I got I got to tell you, it is hot, it is humid. They call it the Monster Mile because. If you can get through that son of a gun without tearing a car in half, you're okay. It's almost as dynamic as Bristol, Tennessee. Oh, yes. The yes. bull ring. Yes. Wow. Now, five. Okay. So, watch this. Here's yeah. some bullet points Dover, heat, Dover, length, one mile. Right. 38 cars, 500 laps. Now, oh, come goodness. on. Goodness come gracious. on, come on, come on. And <laughs> I'm uh, I'm getting a splash of gas, and I got this thing, Trent. My right foot is absolutely aching from oh. from from heat. Good lord. And the the false floor that you put in these cars, so because the whole unibody gets hot from the exhaust headers. Yes. It heats it up like you're cooking pancakes on a great big a griddle wow. and i got some shoes that are really starting to get just hot and oh. i've had this happen a couple of times in race cars yeah and any anyway i i finished 20th there and uh i was only three laps off the final uh count i think i did 400 and some odd laps, but that was, I came into the pits and you didn't really hug your crew chief. Then I got out of the car and my, my right foot almost looked like bubble gum because oh, of the man. heat. Wow. And I'll never forget this. It's just a side note. I went down to Mexico, um, with my girlfriend then. And two days later, my foot's about the size of a softball on my heel because oh, I didn't feel it then. So oh, anyway, wow. you, you know, you know, racing is, is so, so fluid and, and with these cameras today and stuff, it's so neat. And then when you put it into slow motion, it's kind of a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah. But it's, but inside the car, man, holy crap. Yeah. I mean, if, if you can make it look smooth on the outside, I assure you inside when they say we didn't realize you guys were athletes. Um, lap after lap after lap. And when you put heat in, 
one of the most grueling races I've ever done, and that includes mid-Ohio, that includes road Atlanta, that includes the east of the Mississippi humidity, but 500 miles. I was going, wow. wow. That was my last race, and that concludes my NASCAR involvement. Um, years later, I bought Terry Labonte's car, and I drove it in the historic stock car racing group West. Wow. I bought the Labonte uh cornflakes car with the with the rooster on the top and had a ball oh that's I, awesome i dig american v8s yeah i uh respect the can-am series where excess was barely adequate mm. when you get into the 900 horsepower stuff which the nascar is running now and they were well on their way then yeah um there's a little bit of flag carrying going on and, and pride because running with the boys in Charlotte and doing a pretty good job, I was awfully proud. Oh, that's awesome. Well, hey, Rick, I wanted to really thank you again for coming on the Racing Your Podcast again and just and just just giving me some it's just great remembering this stuff with you and it's just a real big honor and I'm humbled to uh to know you and call you as a friend. And uh Anyway, just just thank you again. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful evening and can't wait to talk to you again. Good. Well, it is my pleasure, Trent. I really enjoy doing this, and uh, I will talk to you soon, and you uh, you have a great evening. All right, you too. Rick Noop, ladies and gentlemen, on the Racing Air Podcast. Thank you for listening. This is the Racing Air Podcast. Good day. <laughs>